Hi, I'm Janielle. Welcome back to Thriving in Babylon. In this series, we've talked a lot about trusting God where we are, hardships and all. Larry encouraged us with the truth of who God is, sovereign and loving. And he has also given us practical ways to develop biblical hope and gratitude that can help us survive and thrive despite hardships and hostility. Today, we'll take a closer look at the story of Daniel to identify what set him apart in Babylon. More than a strong faith, Daniel had a humble disposition that communicated respect even towards his enemies. And he had a deep reverence for God. We'll explore what humility is and how it influences those around us. First, listen to Lana share how simply listening to a coworker with different beliefs helped them both grow in mutual love and respect. I'm Lana and I'm a professional makeup artist in the fashion industry. As a Christian, I had to come to a place in my life where I couldn't keep Jesus in the closet anymore. Not that necessarily I'm witnessing on set or anything, but that, you know, it wasn't something that I put in the closet and then I would put it on just on Sundays that I'm a Christian or that I wouldn't talk about it. So um, I got to a place in my in my faith that I had to be obedient to the Lord and I had to um, do what He was asking me to do. even things that I was afraid to do, that I didn't want to do. I had uh, walked into my agency and, and went up to my booker, James, and James is gay. And it was a time uh, in the media when gay people were mad with uh, Christians. And I had an opportunity uh, to talk to James. And he kept on saying to me, you know, you think I'm a sinner. You know, I, I, you think I'm a sinner. What's the Bible say? And, you know, James was raised in a church, and I knew that he knew what the Bible said. And at that moment, I was like, God, why are you putting me in this situation? Why me? I mean, James is my booker. It could involve, you know, my work. And, and why are you wanting me to tell him? You know, I knew at that moment that I was taking a huge risk. I was taking a, a risk of hurting him. I was taking a risk of my work. I was taking a risk of people condemning me in my business. And I turned to God immediately because I didn't know what to do. So I just lifted up really quick prayer. God, what, why? Why am I here? And what am I supposed to say? And the only thing I could really come up with at that moment was, James, I believe that the Bible is the truth. We were able to listen to each other's heart and you know, he told me, he goes, you've taught me, you've taught me a lot, you know, today that uh, you, you were just willing to listen to me. And just because we might have different beliefs didn't mean that we didn't love each other and that we couldn't respect each other. I really do believe that all anyone really wants is to be heard, to be loved, and made to feel like you're willing to hear what they have to say. And that's what Lana's done throughout our entire relationship. I think that God was just asking me to be, you know, Christ's love to James. And so um, I had to be obedient to what God is asking me to do. One of the most powerful traits we can have in our lives to influence the culture around us is this thing called humility. And Daniel had humility in amazing ways. Now, humility sounds kind of like a stained glass word. What in the world does it look like in the real world? 
And in the real world, humility shows itself simply by treating other people as if they're more important than we are. Kind of, kind of think of the honored guest at a, at a dinner party. Uh, you treat them as if they're more important than you. You're treating them with humility. You're treating people with respect. Now, one of the problems when it comes to biblical humility is simply this. We've got some goofy definitions of what humility is. A lot of people think that humility is uh, when the fastest guy in the class says, oh, I'm not very good. No, humility doesn't say you're not good at what you're good at. Humility is simply an accurate assessment of yourself. Jesus was humble. He told people he was God. Jesus was humble. He said, humble and he said, you need to come and follow me. Uh, you can be humble and tell people, hey, I'm the leader. You can be humble and tell people you're good at something. But if you're really gonna be humble, along with that, you are gonna treat them as more important than even yourself. And that's not just gonna be the people who are more important, but it's gonna be everyone. Have you ever thought about this? Daniel kept getting promoted in the household of Nebuchadnezzar. Well, how in the world do you get promoted serving such a godless king if you're serving him poorly? or if you're treating him with disrespect, or you're rolling your eyes every time he says something. No, Daniel kept getting promoted because he served this godless king so well, he was worthy of promotion. Because he treated him with such respect, he was worthy of promotion. In fact, Daniel realized that everyone, even the godless, are in the image of God. Nebuchadnezzar is judged by God. Daniel is the one who delivers a message. Now, frankly, if it had been me, I think I would have come up to him and said something like this. Neb, I've been praying for this to happen and the hammer's finally fallen. But that's not what Daniel says. When Daniel delivers the message of judgment on this godless king, he says, oh king, I wish it was anybody but you. No wonder Nebuchadnezzar was willing to listen to him. No wonder two other kings listened to him. He was a man who treated everybody with respect. The humility that a Jesus had when he washed the feet, washed the feet of even a Judas, that kind of humility will change our world. It'll help us not just survive, but thrive in our Babylon. I'm a teacher. I teach 10th and 11th grade history in downtown Dallas. I came into it wanting, of course, to share the love of Christ. Um, and the way that I do that isn't nearly as, I think, obvious as I hoped when I first walked into my school. There are rules or even constraints on what I'm able to share. And so when those opportunities arise, it's difficult to weigh the balance of what, what's appropriate or what I'm allowed to share sometimes. Of course, walking in as, a, as an educator, my heart is for my students. Um, and so wanting them to know the Lord and not being able to share that is difficult. Um, and so but being able to share, I guess, my faith by the way that I love them and serve them while creating inroads to share the gospel with coworkers has been really important, really important. So my experience when faith does come up in my school or even when I'm teaching, especially because of the content that I teach, um, typically it's pretty hostile towards Christianity. Um, it's pretty hostile towards the gospel message, um, but more so especially towards Christians. Um, and so it is difficult to lead those conversations on when they often end negatively. 
Seeing and teaching my students gives me such an image of the gospel, and I walk in every day wanting to serve and love my students, wanting to give them something that's really good. Um, and so when they reject that, it reminds me that I too, only by the grace of God, did I accept, um, did I accept the gospel myself. Being intentional in relationships is probably where I see the most fruit, I think, and especially not being able to share my faith explicitly or openly or directly, um, then certainly building relationships with people is the number one way that um, I get from coworkers all the time. You know, you're different than most religious people I know. You know, you're different than those, you know, mean Christians I see on Facebook, you know? Um, and so just knowing that I'm able to share and to invite in and to, um, even if I'm not necessarily having people over to my house every day, um, I'm still extending hospitality by meeting people where they are every day. Uh, relationships take so much time to build into and to, to cultivate. And so when it comes to students, uh, that was the first lesson I learned as a teacher was that there's no way to, f to speed up building trust. Um, and so with students, with families, um, just spending time, I think especially with them, getting to know them, uh, really knowing each other's stories um, has been so important in building trust with them so that I can have those conversations. So now a year later with the same students, I can say, actually, here is the worldview um, that is, you know, maybe in contrast to yours. And here's how people believe differently. And here's why it's possible to be intelligent and be a Christian at the same time. Understanding um, that time is important and being able to bear the insults or bear negativity or bear the teasing, whatever that was, um, because it meant there's a possibility that one day by being faithful, I'd be able to share Christ with them. I believe it's the the hard work of being humbled over and over and over again um, in order to build a character in me that will one day bear fruit if in some other season. Though her coworkers and students were hostile towards Christianity, Antonia loved and served them without bitterness or an agenda. And the only way she was able to do that was because she understood the gospel herself, once hostile to God, now saved by grace through faith. Let's see how that humbling reality could change the way we approach people. Humility is such an incredibly powerful force when it comes to influencing people. When we serve others as if they're more important than ourselves, when they know that we like them and treat them well, they're open to listen to what we have to say. Unfortunately, one of the things that's taken place in our culture, especially our Christian culture, is what I call mission creep. And over time, what we've done is we've moved away from persuasion as our primary goal to cultural warfare. And when that happens, it undercuts our evangelism. Now, there is a sense in which we are in a cultural war. But whenever those we interact with who do not yet know Jesus think of themselves as being at war with us, they are naturally defensive. And whenever we approach them with the idea that we're at cultural war, rather than our number one goal is persuasion, everything shifts because they become the enemy. And you don't win many enemies over with warfare. Now, how in the world are we supposed to go about this thing of, of persuading them? Well, I wanna go back to this simple thought. I've got to get it into my mind that those who do not know Jesus are allowed to live as if they do not know Jesus. And that when they are enemies of the, of the cross, it's not that they are my enemy, they are victims of my enemy. 
a number of years ago, there was a passage that just rocked my boat and caused me to completely change the way that I dealt with people that I consider to be enemies of the cross, uh, uh, spiritual opponents, even those who mocked my God. It's found in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 24 to 26. It says this, it says, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. Now I gotta step back and be honest with you. Uh, as I study the Bible and learn more and more, I got better and better at arguing with non-Christians about why they were wrong and why God was right. I, I became quarrelsome and guess what? They became defensive. But the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. The passage goes on and says, but kind to everyone. Now I've spent a lot of time trying to figure out how I can make everyone not everyone. But doggone it, every time I look, the Greek, as deep as I can dig, everyone means everyone. The greatest opponent of our Lord to the person who is walking with my Lord that I look up to. And then he goes on and says, the Lord's uh, servant must also be able to teach, must patiently endure evil, not frustratingly or angrily. And what we are to do then is to correct our opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare or the trap of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. So you see at the very end of this passage, here's what it's telling us. The way to treat the people who have been captured by the enemy and are actually leading his parade of doing evil is to treat them with gentleness, to treat them with kindness, not to be quarrelsome, to be everything that Daniel was in his relationship with Nebuchadnezzar a genuinely humble man. In this session, we were encouraged to pursue humility. Larry said that when we treat others as more important than ourselves, we represent the gospel, exude gentleness, and have the power to influence the world around us. Both Lana and Antonia have experienced hostility towards their faith, but they continue to treat everyone in their path with the same love and respect they have been given in Christ. What about you? Do you struggle maintaining humility in hostile environments or treating everyone with gentleness? Who might the Lord want you to get to know? You can consider these questions and more as you go through the Bible study lesson together. See you next time.